What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right. Welcome back to another episode of The Crossroads. And for the listeners, welcome back to The Long Game Podcast. This week, we are joined by Nicole Casperson, who is the founder of What the Fintech. She's a writer, a creator, basically living the young professional dream right now. But today, we're going to be diving into some of the impact that technology is making in the finance space, what it kind of means for us as consumers. And then we're going to dive into the future of the creator economy and how it kind of compares to traditional media. But before we get started, Nicole, we appreciate you coming on. If you wouldn't mind giving the listeners just a little bit about your background and your story on how you got to where you are today as a full-time creator. Sure. Happy to. Thank you guys so much for having me. So excited to be here. I've seen some pretty legendary people on this show that I admire. So excited to to sit in the seat. Yeah. uh, Long story short, I started out as a journalist, traditional finance reporter. I covered a bunch of different B2B niches. I covered the housing and mortgage industry, auto finance, um, uh, investment uh, and and wealth management in the financial advice space. And honestly, fintech touched all of those industries. And so the fintech uh, beat was kind of following me along the way. And I've kind of been following its trajectory in a sense with these different finance markets. But anyway, so I did that for about five years uh, after grad school. And I really just noticed two main things. One, there is a massive lack of diversity, not only in finance and technology, but also in the newsrooms and the publications that are covering them. So, you know, little little Nicole here is, is experiencing this for herself every day. And kind of, I, I just started to get the, like that creator, like, I guess that entrepreneurial itch, right? I'm like, how do I do this differently? How can this be done differently? And I, I see other creators in the space, like popping off and doing their own niche things. And I remember I had an editor at my last job mm-hmm. who tried to tell me that I needed to pick one. He was like, you're either you need it, you need to cover just FinTech or just like focus on your female like driven beat. And I was like, I don't want to pick just one. I want to write about both. Why can't I write about both? So I start to develop the idea of what the FinTech before I even get uh, work week, the company that, that owns uh, what the FinTech to before they even reach out to me, I'm like already creating the, the idea of it. And I'm like, how do I branch off and like do my own thing? The typical like journalist wants to be a creator and do their own thing story. Um, then Workweek found me, they found me on Twitter, the, the founders and like the rest is history. We, we talked it through at first. I didn't believe them. <laughs> they were like, 
Uh, we would love to offer you an opportunity to write your own newsletter and host your own podcasts and you create the whole thing and we'll pay you a salary and you'll have benefits mm -hmm. just like any job. And I remember thinking, this is not real. <laughs> Sounds too good to be true. And it isn't. So really appreciate that. But that's kind of the genesis of how we are here today. Yeah, you you have a really cool gig. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Trade and I are creators. It's like, you know, the, we're not endpoint creators. Like we're creators to drive business. And mm -hmm. sometimes I would say I'm jealous of just creators because I like it's probably my favorite thing to do. But I think you made a couple interesting points there. Just kind of talking about like as you looked in newsrooms or you looked across different areas, like there wasn't too much diversity in thought and you know, the type of people that work there. But even if you look like across what's shifting in this whole industry, like creators are where people are attracted to. I mean, like 20 years ago, it was news stations and brands. And I think brands are still like drive business with like cars and luxury goods and things like that. But now today, like with your creators, your favorite people, you don't care where they work or what they do in their background. You just follow them because you're attracted to what they do. I mean, there's a reason why Joe Rogan is getting more views than you know, popular news channels these days. And if Joe Rogan goes to Spotify, to Apple, to creating his own, it doesn't actually matter. And it's like kind of the same for us as financial advisors. Like I'm at, now that we've launched All Streets, our third company, and nobody cares where I'm at at the end of the day. They just care about who they get to learn from and who they get to work with. And I think that's something that I think people fail to realize today. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the, and this is work week's thesis, right, is people follow people, not institutions. And the more that our generation and Gen Z's generation, you know, becomes more part of the workforce and keeps growing up and keeps uh, creating um, a demographic that is truly influential, right, to, to the next wave of innovation and business, then, you know, we have to you know, cater to that audience. We have to be a part of that ride of that rocket ship. And that's what the creator economy is and does. And, um, it's, and it's exciting. You know, I, I was listening, I listened to the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and obviously, I mean, not obviously, but she is an idol of mine, if that was not obvious. And, um, but, uh, but she announced how just a few days ago, how she was, you know, stopping her column with the New York Times and uh, going back to Vox so that she can do, she didn't say exactly what, but so that she could really, her, her reasoning behind it was that at the New York Times, it's a fabulous brand. Honestly, it's one of the few traditional publications I subscribe to, but I'm also a New Yorker. So it's my local news. And um, she was like, there's just things that when I'm affiliated with the brand that I cannot do, that I cannot say, that I can't do, that I, and, and I freaking feel that so hard. It hit me so hard because that's exactly how I felt. It's so hard to like not be able to do what you you know, want to do and feel is right. And she's like, think about, she was like, I've had thousands of interviews, thousands of interviews, and I don't own the rights to any of them. Yeah. These publications do, and I don't own any of my things. And so she just wants that. Like, I don't blame her. I don't even know how old she is, but she's, way, she's a bit older than me. Like I, like I, people should have ownership of their things. They, you should be the CEO of your own content. And so yeah. it's not for everyone, but that's, you know, think about it. Think about how long she's been in the traditional game for and now she, and she's been kind of disrupting it in her own way. So mm. she's going to go do something more entrepreneurial, a little bit more creative for herself. And guess what? Her audience is going to go right with her. So New York uh, Times kind of lost a gem a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like Workweek is kind of like trying to play that happy medium role between like 
making someone go fully independent, like they have to make their own income, cover their own benefits, all that sort of stuff. And then are they kind of just like plugged in the middle where they do provide benefits and flexibility more than what a traditional place does? Like, is that kind of the idea behind Workweek itself? Kind of. I like to think of Workweek as like the actual deal between the creator and Workweek is a lot more like a record label or like a record deal. So, you know, I'm signed for a certain amount of years. Of course they want to work with me for as long as I want to work with them, but I got, I got a contract for a few years, so I'm locked in. And, um, and, you know, I have a, I have a certain amount of content that I need to produce after that. That's really it. Like then it's, it's on me to be, like I said, like the CEO of my brand. So as much output and as much energy I want to put into it, that's what Workweek is going to work with, right? The operators, everything, right? Like I want to do events. I want to do things. I want to make money. I want to like grow this thing. Um, so they're giving me the operations, the tools, an entire team behind me to make it happen. And that's really cool, but nothing happens without, you know, my final say, my input, whatever right like even things as down to a sponsorship at a traditional media company I don't touch that this is my first time experiencing even touching advertising but it's cool too because I get a little bit more uh hands on like the business side of how media companies are in a brand work so that's also really cool learning wise but you know even down to the sponsor uh, if, if I don't like the company or if they're like, then I, we're not going to take their money and that's not normal. Like no, normally a reporter or journalist or creator doesn't have that kind of say, but work week. Um, so that's kind of how the contract works, but the, uh, business model is like, uh, we often say we're like the Avengers. So we all, there's a bunch of different creators who all have completely different storylines, completely different niches you know and and um but but we have an operations team behind us that is working completely together to fuel all of us so kudos to our operations team because there's a lot of us and we're all doing a lot of different things but they are crushing it and um but they're able to with that they're able to create actually very customized um routes for each creator so like what i do and the contract i have is completely different than what trung has right or the wolf and um and that's really awesome you know to be able to have that but yes you get all the things the benefits the payroll the 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 whole thing yeah i mean to me that's like such an awesome setup um but to go back to like kind of what your one point you said about the lady at the new york times i think it's kind of interesting to think about like early on so like we can even use you an example of like hey you know you've been writing but maybe your brand wasn't like massive yet So now you go work at somewhere like where you're at now where, wow, she's good enough to be here, right? So that that amplifies your brand. But over time, as you build that brand, now it's like if you go to any other brand, you actually amplify them. And so there's like this interesting cross point early on where, you know, going to New York Times or even like think about Alex from Call Her Daddy, like that first time when she got picked up by Barstool, she wasn't known. And it's like, whoa, this girl has to be really good. Barstool would have her on. Then after a few years of using Barstool's platform, you get to the point of like, I don't need anybody behind me anymore because I've built up the following, the brand where everybody's going to follow me regardless where I go. And plus, like, think even for you too, if you would have taken the leap of going creator on your own, you would have the control of all these ideas, but you'd also have to handle the execution too. 
Like right yeah. now you have that perfect threshold of, I oversee what I want that to look like, but I don't necessarily have to go figure out video editing and podcast editing and then distribution I, and ads and all those things. And then also, if you can't do those, how do you afford those early on as a creator? You don't, you don't really have a choice. So this like stepping stone for you, I feel like is like the perfect route for anybody to be able to go. Yeah. And I, I'd love to see more people do it. I think if I, I always think about this, if I, when I was, I would say this to myself when I was trying to decide, um, cause you know, I was at a, I was at a really good publication. It wasn't the New York times, but it was the flagship publication of the industry. Right. It's like that, like it was the kind of publication that you stayed for, you know, a solid amount of time for your, in, for your career and then moved on to the next big thing. And, you know, I, I got a lot of amazing connections and I got, you know, somewhat of an audience, but at the end of the day, it was always about the brand and never really about me uh, yeah. building an audience. So yeah, it's, it's about like, the thing is the route of Kara Swisher in that example, right? Like going to the times and doing that and the whole thing. I always think about if I would have stayed on that traditional route and not taken a leap of faith, I don't know how old would I be until I got to this point, right? Like, so I'm 28, just for, for clarification, but like, I thought to myself before joining work week, like, am I ready to give the rest of my twenties to this publication that frankly doesn't really value like me as an individual? Am I willing to give that to another one? If you would ask me like a year, maybe a little over a year ago now, um, you know, I would have, it, what, what my dream job would have been, I would have easily told you like, oh, to work at X publication. Yeah. Easy. No problem. Now I'm like, I can't even imagine working at those publications because after what I'm doing now, because it would just drive me insane. 100%. Um, once, yeah. you get a taste, once you get a taste of like yeah. the freedom that you can have, it's like really, really, really hard to go back. But I think that's like, Okay, let's think about when you were a kid, right? So if you knew, hey, I want to be a writer, I want to like do something around those routes, your your dream of yourself was, you know, New York Times or probably not Fox News, but like big brands like that of like, hey, it'd be sweet to go work there and be able to create content. But now as kids, we can look up to creators and think of like, man, what if in the future I'm an influencer, I'm a creator? So like as as you think about that, like what is the future of the creator economy look like as people are actually like like dreaming about that role versus like, well, Hey, I just kind of lucked into it now, but I've never really thought it out. I feel like there's, it's going to expand so much. Hmm. Gosh. I mean, and how cool is that? Like how cool would it have been when we were kids to have more people to look up to, as opposed to maybe necessarily like the jobs that they had in a sense, right? Like, yeah, I have, you know, women that I look up to who have been journalists that always inspire me. And, you know, you could, boil that down to someone as big as Oprah. Right. But like, um, the, the thing is, is that is the paths, right. Or like the different paths that are taken and, and, you know, our world tells us there's only like one way to like very successfully do something, right. You go to college, you get a job, you work in said crappy job for X amount of years. And then if you're lucky, someone decides that you have earned your stripes enough to go off and do things your way. Yeah, Whew, I'd be 50 by now <laughs> before I ever had what the fintech before I ever had anything that uh, that um, that that felt like uh, me and, and my myself and my brand. So I do think that the future of that is how and I, I a lot of that to me is actually is, is the B2B media space. Right. So, 
you know, we're going to keep getting to a place and it's just going to accelerate, right? Like where creators and influencers are the ones that are influencing business decisions. It's already happening and it's just going to keep getting bigger. Um, and when it comes to B2B media, and that's what makes work week so special is that, you know, we're bringing that, um, we're bringing like the modern innovative kind of like more jazzy and just straight up fun aspect of the creator economy to B2B media, which is all I've ever worked in. I've never worked for a B2C publication. So it's like, why are we not treating business professionals and operators in certain industries like the consumers that they are though? Like, why are we treating them like everything is so suit and tie and, oh, I'm sorry, this is business news. So we only talk about business and we do it in a very boring business way. Like it doesn't make any sense. Anyways, but I hope to see more, I really hope to see more women. I hope to see more young people see B2B media as a viable um, uh, uh, career trajectory. I'd love to see more me's like uh, uh, influencing different spaces because you get to use your voice, you get to use your creative freedom. You're you're building something really for yourself and your, and your name. And that's a beautiful thing, especially for women. And you you get to be influential on business decisions. And that that's also really huge. So hopefully we see more of that and more people can see people like us. Right. And see it as an opportunity. Exactly. And I feel like, I mean, just the internet itself has just completely removed like the barrier to entry. Like anyone could start a little publication on medium tomorrow and start trying to grow their audience. And then like you were talking with just kind of like the paths to get where you wanted to be before you couldn't really follow someone's same path. Like, you couldn't just get in the right room that Oprah did to land her job or whatever it is. And now you could see like a creator, like if they started on YouTube, you could go back to their very first video, watch every single one, like how they got better, how they grew their channel, all that sort of stuff. So like the transparency and just like the hope that it gives people is super cool in my opinion. And I think it's interesting to think about like what future tech and evolution, like social media evolutions are going to exist to give us even more reach because I was just talking about this with a friend of like think about you know 20 years ago like to have any scale of reach you're buying some massive ad like if you wanted to get in front of you know let's say 250,000 people plus like you're sponsoring something for like a big sporting event and then I'm like wow I can throw out a twitter thread that gets retweeted by Silio Bloom and all of a sudden I have 230,000 reads on this and that outreach like the scale of how you can build any business or any brand today through social media is something that's never existed. And I think like how many people talk about what's the next evolution? Like, I mean, some ideas I think about, like, is there really a good social media platform for podcasting? Like right now, podcasting is something people consume, but there's no real way to get your message out well besides through regular social media. So is there a way to like have a social media platform where people only look and you have topics and they can see like two minute highlight videos and think that's what I want to do or like what other evolutions can exist for reach. I think it's called TikTok. <laughs> I guess that's okay. The, I say that because, um, and this, this is great. I love that we're having this conversation today because I literally reached out to my head of creator development today because I've been so obsessed with growing my, or the next kind of iteration of what I want to do is really grow out my social media because I uh, haven't put my full effort into it yet. I really have been focusing on the newsletter and like kind of the, the, uh, the podcast and just growing those two things. And now that those things are like rocking and rolling and and getting (laughs) at a place I'm like, okay, 30 K subscribers, 
should we chill? And my boss is like, no, we should not. We will keep going. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's keep going. Anyway, <laughs> he's like hundred K by the end of the year. I'm like, okay, okay. Anyways. So that's, that's going off really well, but how do I get it though? Where my Twitter has that, like, how do I, I need to, and, and that's Twitter threads, you know, that's like being as informational as I am with my newsletter with, with Twitter. But the thing is with social media is that it's hard. It's like, I feel like before you could, almost like copy and paste stuff. Like I could just take something from my newsletter, copy and paste it in Twitter as a thread, copy and paste it on like Instagram with like little screenshots and stuff. And, but you can't do that anymore. Every single thing has to be uh, optimized for the medium, right? So like, I can't just take uh, something necessarily from my newsletter and then reshare it on Twitter. I have to completely revamp it because the strategy there is completely different. You have the you same know? content, but you have to edit it some to fit. Yeah. Into- yeah. yeah. And that takes time. And the thing is, is and, it, and it takes, it's, you know, the wolf, one of our creators who grew his new or his, his Twitter, uh, which in one year from like zero to f- think he's about to hit 50 K followers, you know, in a year. And, but he really focused on that. He's like the opposite of me. He really focused on his, on his social. And I want to learn a lot. I'm learning a lot from him, but um, you know, he, he, he did that by like understanding, like, how do I best optimize my, my content for this? And that, but the thing is, it's harder to translate the newsletter, vice versa. So it's really being like this jack of all trades with all the different platforms that creators can, that that creators need to do. And that is really, really hard. So I'm like, I think TikTok's a great place for, I think for podcasting, there's, I've like got a new, a couple new Gen Z uh, co-workers now and uh I'm obsessed with them they like help me understand <laughs> one I'm not used to even having like younger colleagues I've worked in these like newsrooms with people like my dad's age and then <laughs> like and now I'm working with these Gen Z kids and they are just like they're like this would be an amazing reel I, I found this in your podcast and you should take this clip and do this and they're just like boop, 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 and they know so much I and I want to do that for social but I think podcasts and, and TikTok could could work really well and i would like to explore um, that and same with instagram reels what you yeah. said before about the 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 reach right anyone can get millions and millions of views like literally and that's what's cool too i like that there's room for everyone to to like go viral and have moments i think that's really cool i think you made some great points there about repurposing i think everybody's like repurpose 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 and it's like yeah you really can't copy and paste your newsletter to be a blog post, but, or like to be a Twitter post or thread, but what you could do is you could rewrite it to garnish attention better in a thread, or you could, right. what's like one main point in there. And can I put that point into something on Twitter? Cause that was where I struggled when I first started creating, I was just like, put one thing and then copy and paste. Like I wrote a blog and then on Twitter, I just throw the link to the blog with a little blurb. I was like, nobody does that. But then it's like, well, what if I write my blog post and then I put the content there, but like, I have to have a better hook to get people in or, you know, Hey, I wrote a thread, but the hook, like I need more intro in this. I need to expand on this and crap. Like it does take time. I still think like repurposing is great, but like, you can't just repurpose and post from one place to the other, to the other, because like how people consume on LinkedIn versus how people consume on Twitter are like completely different worlds and completely different audiences usually too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I think the folks that are following my Instagram, my What the FinTech Instagram brand, which I will one day post better on that channel. <laughs> just wait. Um, but you know, they, they, they're that. I don't think that that's 
similar to my Twitter one, right? For the most part, it's like go to any like happy hour or party or something where, you know, you're meant to like network and exchange contacts. When you live in New York, that's any party or bar you <laughs> go to. People just do that. Yeah. They're like, oh, what do you do? Anyway. So, but the, uh, I always like love to kind of think about uh, in whatever said room I'm in, whether a FinTech happy hour or a creator economy happy hour, how are people connecting with me? Cause I just say, they're like, oh, well, let's like connect more. And I'm like, well, which social media do you want? Cause I got them all. So I'm like, and actually LinkedIn happens a lot, maybe because I'm going to FinTech parties, but, um, <laughs> but, um, and, and, and Instagram still happens a lot too. I wish Twitter would happen more, but yeah, it makes me think about like, okay, some, there's some cross here, but really not that much. And because people have like their one platform and they stick with that and they like love it. But when you're a creator, you need to hit all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those are interesting to figure out like who's there. Cause like I had the thesis that like everybody I'd want to work with would be on LinkedIn. And like, that was my main focus for a while. And then I was like, well, who do I really want to work with? Okay. I want to work with founders in their twenties and thirties. I want to work with, you know, people with equity comp and tech or, you know, people with crypto found out that all of those type of people are actually the people who live on Twitter, not LinkedIn, mm-hmm. because they're like, I want to grow. I want to learn. Like the people who are on LinkedIn were the people who were like, maybe they owned a business, but it was B2B. Like that was some people. And then it would be like anybody else selling to somebody else. Like those people, <laughs> there. but like, you know, you write something and then your comments are like, great post, sweet. But Twitter is like, Hey, I put something there. And people are like, generally they're only responding because they have like add to the conversation or do it. But everybody I talk to, like I talk to friends and people like, nobody's on Twitter, like use Instagram. And I'm like, okay. But like, I don't think my audience necessarily learns on Instagram. They're on Instagram, but like, is my educational content necessarily going to resonate on Instagram? And it hasn't for me. And so I just basically repurpose like, here, here's all my tweets. I'm going to throw it there. So anybody, the few people who don't follow me on everywhere else that's there, but I go like, LinkedIn to Twitter one. And, but it's also because financial advisors have always told like Trayton and I, and since I've even been the profession of Twitter is not how you get clients for financial advisors. You only can network. And I just believed it for a bit. And I was like, wait, why am I just believing what everybody else says? Like, if you look into our space, there's less than like 30 good creators that anybody can name. So unless it's advice from those people, <laughs> probably not the advice to listen to. Yeah. What? That's, I forgot about that. I le- right, I like left covering the industry full time. So I almost forgot about, <laughs> about, about the, um, oh gosh, you know what? That reminds me, the last publication I was at, I remember being in a meeting with, you know, editors, whatever. And me being like, I was talking, I was specifically talking about like, I think it was like downtown Josh Brown. And I yeah. was like, yo look at like I was his, his Instagram like and he doesn't like he just does this this and this I was like we should be doing this for the brand blah, blah, blah. I was like fighting for it I was like social and I just remember like my editor looking at me and being like well, Josh, Brown's on t- Josh Brown's on tv every day and our audience isn't on there so and I was like hmm. he's there because he did the other things I was like many hmm. Instagram people watch cable news either I mean <laughs> I, I don't you know, that's the other thing so that's that is something I've recently been like having such epiphanies over is like my Instagram reels and t- TikTok. Me and my partner, we lay in bed and watch TikToks together like TV, like and Instagram reels, like TV. Like 
up, oh, change the channel. Poop, don't like that. And it's like better than TV because one, I don't get commercials or if you do, you just swipe past them, right? And then two, if I don't like the programming, I get to have the next thing like that. And then the algorithm's figuring me out left and right, which is also scary, but anyways, in the <laughs> positive light, it's like, yeah. And that, when I mean, you think about it like that, when you think about like reels and TikTok and the video element being bigger than TV and look how much TV influenced everything, right? And, and, and the world and business, right? I mean, there's a whole realm of, out, out there that if mm-hmm. like you're a traditional either media company or even you're a financial institution or you're a financial advisory firm, you're not thinking about that. Like, exactly. come on, come on now. Exactly. No, you gotta think point. a little differently. <laughs> oh, really good point. So let's segment to kind of wrap this up, but it would be like, you know, we said a little bit of time talking about it, but like, what's like the future in your mind evolutions of FinTech? Because like, I think if we look at like what existed 10 years ago, like we didn't even really have like bank apps. Like you I mean, I think the evolution is happening so fast, but I think like, let's try to attack this from the angle of like people, like really it's consumers, not financial advisors who would look at this of, you know, what are things to be aware of and things that could be like really impactful for them on their future? Yeah, I, um, I think one of my favorite parts from a more consumer perspective of the fintech space right now is that there's actually so many different neo banks. There's so many different investing apps. I'm right in my newsletter. I'm writing about a new one left and right, you know, coming up. And what's cool about it is that fintech apps are almost like a creator. Like there, there's so many different niches that you can find these different financial tools or fintech apps that can cater to you and your specific needs and values and desires, right? Hey, maybe I, you know, want to make sure I have an investing app that focuses on my, you know, on ESG or my beliefs or something. Women with Elevest or whatever. Elevest. I literally use Elevest, right? Like, so, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to use Elevest for that, right? Obviously, like I'm very like female focused, fair Elevest. So then, and I'm going to bank with them. Or you can be like, you know, I really want to make sure I don't get overdraft fees. Okay. Let me find the bank. That's like very, or the Neo bank that doesn't charge that at all, or maybe has like a flexible, um, uh, policy on that much more flexible than a traditional bank. So there's just all these different things. Oh, let's say I want, like, I want a more, uh, social media like experience with my investing. I go to public or eToro, right? So like, there's all these different ways to like create your own little, like, Avenger team of of fintech apps and and have your own experience with your finances, right? And that's what's really, really cool um, from from the consumer uh, perspective. Um, Industry perspective, it's like, yeah, things are happening. The market's bad right now, whatever. Um, But for what consumers can think about with that is that that actually means this is a really good time for people in the industry, fintech operators, leaders to really build um, to really think next about what, how they're going to respond to this, you know, how are you going to nurture your company internally, but also your end user, you know, externally. And I actually think, and this is another kind of reason why I started what the FinTech, my audience is broad enough to where I have like a large portion of like FinTech executives and CEOs reading my, my work, but I also have like consumers are the first time person just getting interested in the space. Cause it's that yeah. digestible and that 
sometimes I write things that are a little super intricate. You can just scroll past that and wait for the next send, you know, and maybe it'll be something less intricate next time. So you get this like variety. And I think that for me, that was like another kind of thesis with what the FinTech was. Why am I only writing about the industry for industry when, and it's behind a paywall, right? Like I would rather write something that a consumer could also be able to understand and digest just as much as the CEO. So what I mean by that really is like, as a consumer, you should be looking out for a company and their culture. You should be looking out for what's going on in their leadership. Like, is there drama happening? Like, are they having layoffs? You know, maybe you don't want to support that app that isn't treating their employees great or whatever it is, you know? So those are the things I like to think about and look out for in that perspective. Yeah. And I also think one interesting thing and like your newsletter does a great job with it is just with more fintech companies and like people building in public, you can kind of get to know the founders of like, who's building this product? Like, why did they create this? Like their story of how they got to starting this business, everything. It just makes things more personal. And like, I mean, Elevest is a great example. Like before you wouldn't know who the founder of like Charles Schwab, I mean, it might be Charles Schwab. I don't know, but like you wouldn't. This is Charles Schwab, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wouldn't know like who these founders are, why, what their mission is. And I think that's just one cool thing with FinTech is like a lot of the founders are pretty public with what they're doing because it's pretty mission-based in the first place. Yeah. Agreed. Question for you though. Like, so as you talked about kind of like the specialty apps and you can build your suite. So I've been thinking about this because like in the advisor space over the last 20 years, it's been like the one perfect solution for every little thing. So you have like portfolio rebalancing and then you have like, you know, here's how to actually see how your investments have been doing. And then here's the best for CRM and then financial planning and then for equity comp and then for crypto. And you just have this massive suite where you use about 5% of the capabilities of each. And then you have all your clients here who are like, wait, what do I use for what? You're like, oh, right. Capital is financial planning. And they're like, how come altruist? I can't see my financial planning. Like, cause that's not the right one. You're like, oh, okay. Well, retell me that. So what I'm wondering is like Altruist is trying to do this of consolidation. Like what, how much can we bring back in house and do really well versus diversify out and have 10 different things? Like, do you think, I, I know that's happening in the advisor space, but do you think that will happen in personal finance space? Or do you think it's kind of that opposite evolution? Yeah. Well, I think that, well, I think that the personal finance and FinTech space really has the advantage of APIs and has the advantage of agility and, um, and building early like, or, or, or being newer to build. Right. So like most FinTech companies aren't building on top of old infrastructure. They're building completely new systems, right. Completely, yeah. completely new things, which means when things, when bad things happen, when the market happens, if, a, you know, a bunch of their users decide, Hey, we hate your, your thing. They can change right away. They can, they can make an adjustment, whatever. Uh, a lot of the older um, technology firms, which can lend itself right into the wealth tech space, aren't necessarily doing that. So one of the things I like to think about a ton is, you know, if your apps aren't capable of talking to each other um, and talking nice to other applications, then yes. yeah, you're, you're going to be in a crappy spot, right? And that's what the wealth tech industry is still struggling with, right? Um, but the broader fintech space is not as much there, right? Like people kind of are able to like 
integrate with each other right away and and right the, the whole api thing and and that aspect of it so i think it i think i'm like to your question i don't know i think it's maybe it might be a mix i don't know yeah it's i don't know insane. i, I get your like backwards evolution i guess i don't know though if people want things under one umbrella anymore at least in the consumer side it's interesting because I try to think of the example of like, let's say I have a hub where all my accounts are integrated there. I can see my investments, my crypto, my equity comp. I also can have budgeting inside of it. Um, I can track, you know, taxes on my investments. I can, hey, here's what my yearly expenses are. And then I also can like have that app and have insights for me that then is also shared with my advisor who can always have that updated and refreshed. Would you rather have that than... Hey, I have Tiller for budgeting. Mm -hmm. I have personal capital for tracking my investments. I have something else for like beneficiary designations. I have something else for my estate planning. Like, I don't know. And I don't think that there's a right or wrong way. And it might be that some people like that and some people like the specialty because like maybe Tiller is too budgety spreadsheet and somebody rather have Mint versus, or does that one company have those options? I mean, I don't know. I agree with you. I think it's the personalization and you're right. Maybe it's not one or it's never that, you know, never one or the other. We like to think our brains like to think uh, the world has taught us to think very, very uh, binary, but anyways, so, but I agree with you. I think it's going to get to, uh, I think it's going to be customized and personalized to, you know, suit your, at the end of the day, if you wanted to just go to like a traditional bank or even some of these challenger banks and neo banks that can do all of the things you can do everything under one like i could just go to like current or acorns or time or stash and do all of those things i can invest i can open up retirement accounts i can you know do whatever i want and uh, and have you know checking and savings and etc cetera, etc cetera. you could do that all under one thing if you wanted to so i guess yeah it's just like the matter of how do you want to do it? Like I talked to someone earlier today who's like, I've got like 30 different fintech apps and I love it. And I was like, oh God, like that's not really me. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that sounds overwhelming. I would rather have like three or four that yeah. I get to, you know, one is like, maybe I play a little bit there. And then one is like my more serious. And then one, so yeah, it's just like based on your personality. What do you like? If you like 30 fintech apps, Bless you. If you <laughs> good for you. If you want something a little easier, there's options out there too. So, and that's also what's cool, right? The options are so endless. Yeah. Yeah. Any other closing thoughts or questions you got trading? Mm, I don't think so. This was awesome. awesome. Yeah. Nicole, any closing thoughts you have or anything you want to add in? Um, <laughs> I, uh, always. always uh, <laughs> and then where people can follow you. Okay, that sounds good. I will say my closing thought is that I, for any women or anyone that feels like they don't feel like they belong in these spaces, i.e. the creator economy or even the finance space and fintech, I hope that you see me and what I'm doing and what I'm building and realize that you totally do belong and you should be here. And I hope more of you enter the space. So that is what I would say. You can follow me mostly on Twitter, although I did say a lot about how I want to grow my other social media channels. So you can follow me on social at Nicole Casperson. Um, on Instagram, my what the fintech is just WTFIN tech. And yeah, see me Describe eventually. Huh? 
and subscribe to your newsletter. Yes. Oh my gosh. And subscribe. Thank you. Subscribe to my, <laughs> someone, someone needs to train me proper. Um, yes. Yes. Subscribe to my newsletter. If you just go to workweek.com and uh, see a little floating head picture of me, you can click on that and subscribe to my newsletter and listen to my podcast. It's called Humans of Fintech. And you don't even need to be in fintech to like it, I promise. Perfect. Well, Nicole, thanks for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you back next week. Thank you.